0: episode zero of the Wildstorm Addiction podcast. I'm Joe David Solis. I'm Ben Murphy. And we uh, want to welcome you to our uh, pilot episode. Uh, For those of you who have been listening here at the Comic Addiction, you've probably heard me on the Image Addiction podcast with Chris Parton and Mike Smith doing some of their retro reviews. And um, tonight we're going to be talking solely about Wildstorm, which is something that... uh, As many of you have seen throughout the net, you've seen uh, my call name as Grifter78. You see that, obviously, I uh, really love this company. And um, so, Ben and I are going to talk some Wildstorm with you tonight.
1: Yeah. And uh, others who have seen me around in various forms as Yo-Yo Master. I'm the annoying one. And uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about Wildstorm for the weeks of three thirty-one and four seven. So we got a, a lot to talk about tonight.
0: Yeah, and um, I want to thank Ben for agreeing to do this with me because um, this was an opportunity that was given to us, and uh, it was just really cool to find another another person who was who I already knew, you know, liked Wildstorm a lot, and it was just really cool that he was willing to come on and give this a try. So thanks for thanks for stepping up, Ben.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For those of you um, out there who who uh, who have never heard uh, never heard Image Addiction or never been to the Wildstorm boards or seen any of us discussing or uh, Ben and I both hail from the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. If uh, some of you never been to that, you can find that on Google just by typing it in; it'll be the first thing that pops up. But Pretty much. we'll just uh, we'll take a, we'll take a few minutes to let you know a little bit about us. I've been pretty much following Wildstorm since the beginning. I uh followed Jim Lee when he left when he left X Men and uh followed a lot of image comics in the early days, but uh, there was just something about the Wildstorm universe that just really really spoke to me, so that the characters just really attached to me. Obviously Grifter, you know, I mean <laughs> for those of you who've seen my Twitter page and everything else, you know, Grifter's just pasted here out there and all over the place. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's um You know, obviously the Wallstorm Universe has had its ups and downs over the years, and um, I've followed them during both, and um, I'm just glad that uh, after 15 years, dear God, I can't believe it's been that long, but (laughs) after 15 years worth of this company existing, I'm just glad that I get to kind of share the love, you know, that I have for it out there, Uh, and hopefully people will give this uh, company a try based on some of these reviews that we're going to be doing here tonight.
1: I also have been with Wildstorm throughout its tenure. Um, I started collecting when I was 12. Uh, My stepbrother had showed me a lot of the uh, Uncanny X-Men that Jim Lee was doing. And at that time, I was not into comics at all. And I said, hey, what should I pick up? And he mentioned this artist that I really enjoyed and I did a lot of copying of um, since I had the artistic nature. He told me that he was starting his own comic book company, so I kind of jumped on board right there with Wild, Wildcats Number 1, and uh, I've been hooked ever since. You know, I went away from it for a little while after, well, during college, and those years just due to money, really. But I came back the last couple years, and don't know why I ever dropped it, because it was amazing, and had to go back and pick everything up that I had missed.
0: You know, speaking of money, I always always made the joke, you know, that uh <laughs> you know, for the ups and downs of the Wildstorm universe, um, I could always afford them above everything else, <laughs> you know.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Even today it's amazing how how inexpensive they are. And you look at uh those first couple years that they started and they were still under image, um, you know, the the amount hasn't really changed too much, so can't complain.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, tonight um, <clears throat> we're going to be discussing some of the recent releases. And um, let's go ahead and start with The Authority number 21, which is written by Mark uh, Bernadin and Adam Friedman, with art by Al Barrio Nuevo. And we got a nice cover by Walt Simonson, which connects with Wildcats number 22, which is out on April the 28th. So, um... Let's just go ahead and jump straight into this review. The first thing that's notable about this issue is it is the last issue for this creative team. Um, It was announced that uh, this is the fourth issue they've done, and um, for some reason they're leaving the book. Uh, No official reason has been given, but I can personally say that regardless of the reason, I'm really sad that they're leaving because they've done an awesome job with this book so far.
1: They really have. I think a lot of people are sad about that.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, there are some people that I've seen at the boards that um, are kind of taking it almost as the last straw. I was sorry to see that uh, you know that that they were really excited about this and we were going to go 12 issues, you know, strong with this team, which you know Wildcats is still obviously going to do. But right. um, you know, yeah, there was just a lot of a lot of the what I what I consider the diehard fans, you know, because I've been on the boards long enough to to know who's who's the diehard fans. Right. You know, And they were they were kind of upset. They were still talking about it today when I was logging on. <laughs> but let's. But the the good news is is that they gave us a really good final issue. I mean they um they really literally just hit the ground running with this. And you know some people complained about that, and some people thought that was really cool because you know we literally <clears throat> when they took over four issues ago, you know we had the. Um, we had the, the authority ship, the carrier, you know, being called back to some distant, you know, we don't know if it's a planet, we don't know where it's going, but some somewhere deep in space, you know, somebody's calling out to the carrier, calling it back, apparently. And you had this wild scramble between the all the teams, you know, who's going to get on the carrier and go try something new, who's going to stay back on Earth, which of course has been decimated for the last two years since the World's End event, you know, began. And that was part of the motivation behind mixing up these teams, which is another thing that unfortunately has come under criticism, is that the characters who were exclusive to the Authority once upon a time, and exclusive to Wildcats, and exclusive to Gen 13, were basically just shaken up, mixed up, you know, I mean, as random as random could be, you know, who chose to get on the carry and who chose to stay behind, and you know honestly i th- I thought it was very bold. it was a very bold move
1: uh, oh absolutely, yeah, they really gave us a great arc, i mean, despite the fact that they you know are cutting short you know their promised twelve issues um you really can't complain with what they put out for these four i mean they're awesome
0: yeah but but like i said you you know you've um you've had three issues where i mean it's just been. You know the carriers going, and 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 for some people got stuck on it who didn't want to be get stuck on it. You know, even regular people, not non-superpowered people. And so you had conflicts with that. You had refugees, uprisings. I mean, you know, and they they're about to run uh, right into the middle of the planet Daemon. You know, where the Wildcats, you know, Nemesis, the the Daemonites come from. So it's like not only do they not have a chance to breathe, all of a sudden they're you know in the middle of another conflict and. You know, they got internal conflict and it's just like I mean, chaos, 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 you know.
1: Oh, there's a lot going on. Oh yeah, for sure.
0: So you know, um here in this issue, what was so cool about it is that we finally get to catch our breath and so do the characters. You know? Um like what what there was lots of character moments in this. What 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 was some of your favorite character moments in this Ben?
1: <laughs> well, I I think a lot of people are gonna Notice Christine stomping through a few panels and basically telling Hawksmore to nut up was pretty
0: good. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was really great. I mean, uh, obviously, you know Christine Trelaine who hasn't gone by the name of Synergy for a long time, but you know most people probably remember her Synergy from Stormwatch. But uh, her and her and Jacks Hawksmore have been having this little power struggle and. Um, I don't think either one's really won yet
1: <laughs> no no and and not only does she you know walk right past him she walks right up to the high and is like hey man same thing not just <laughs> not, not up but you know hey I can help you you know help yourself let me help you so
0: yeah that, that was one thing I mean you've got a, that, that, I think that's one thing that people are taking for granted about this is that I think people are so stuck on, oh, you've messed up the Authority, oh, you've messed up mm-hmm. the Wildcats, they're they not the same team, you don't have the same characters. I think they're so focused on that that they're not really looking at what's happening here and, and what this creative team has done in taking these characters that, that, yeah, I mean, I get why these people are angry, there's a lot of stuff that, that we all loved from, from Warren Ellis' run and stuff, but, you know, these characters are... Are being put in into the situation where they've made some bad choices. I mean, the world pretty much ended, and it was their fault, you know. And that's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something, you know, for the first time, in a, you know, in comics, it's it's being treated like it should have been treated in any other any other end of the world type story we should have seen, which is that it. It needed to not just mess up the world, but mess up these characters.
1: No, no, I agree. And that's good that you point that out. I mean, they really even dive clear back to Ellis's, you know, the end of the Stormwatch volume one run. I mean, build a better world. You know, these guys have been screwing up ever since that, you know, when the authority was created, they have yet to accomplish that. So they're still hinting at that. All these characters, they might not be the core authority, But they all understand that, and they all realize that they've screwed up. So this isn't just what's happening now; it's what's happened over, you know, the last ten years. Mm -hmm.
0: And you know that building a better world. I mean, I'm sure the authority had a vision for that, and they tried everything they did. You know, up to taking over the U.S. at one point. You know, which to me totally made sense based on the path they were taking. But then this to me makes the most sense for the next logical step it's like you basically were gods and now you've been brought down you know and that's what Mm -hmm. what, uh, Dan and Andy uh, Labnitz run was all about was deconstructing this team and now they're coming out of it and some people have said well you know they're, they're powered up again and you know so there's that struggle just like you mentioned with Jack Hawksmore there's that struggle to okay I've got my powers back do I just return to my old ways you know just being a jerk you know, mm-hmm. pushing people around, bullying people around, and making them, you know, truly being the authority and making them do what I want, you know, what I think is best.
1: Right. Yeah, and they they, they can't even, sorry, they can't even, um, they can't do that anymore on Earth. I mean, they still are finding this struggle on the carrier. They have all these refugees, and they don't really know what to do with them. I mean, before, they would just smack them around, put them in their place, but now, I mean... They don't even know their way around the carrier. That's one problem. The other problem is, how do you take care of all these people? So, I mean, that struggle continues.
0: Yeah, who some don't want to be taken care of by superheroes anymore. Exactly. Which is very understandable. I mean, all of a sudden, the the people who you thought were protecting you are the ones... I mean, it's the ultimate betrayal, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's like, we, we, we trusted you, and you let us down so and now you want to fix it and the, i guess you know i guess the the wound i guess you could say is still too fresh i don't i mean it's the reactions that some of them are having to the heroes is like yeah that's the probably the way you know a lot of us would feel too is you know if if uh if our heroes messed up in such a way that is like it's almost irreversible yeah you know, that, that that's what we established in in uh crystal's gauges wildcats run that all the easy way outs of this have been taken care of and it's not going to happen which was great you know
1: so do you want to talk a little bit about the engineer what happened to her
0: oh yeah yeah that was um again going on the you know these characters going through some changes you know she's gone She's gone through a lot of changes since world's end. Mm, yeah. You know, she she's had a very cool arc. She started, you know, obviously where she lost her powers completely, you know, and then she got them back, but they weren't really working right. Nope. And you know, then finally <clears throat> it seemed like she was back to the engineer as we know her. Yeah. And then she disappears, you know, the beginning of this arc and here we see that she's bonded with a carrier yeah. <laughs> for, for good this time.
1: <laughs> yeah, like Nia, she's the one.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of those things that, that you would hope that it, it lasts. You know, if everything else that they've been doing is going to last, which it has, thankfully, so far, you know, that's one of those things like, okay, you know, Angie pretty much is the carrier now.
1: Yeah, I, the way that they wrote it, I don't really see how they can tear her apart from it right now. I mean, they seem to. I mean, at one point, they uh, they tell her that Angela Spike's consciousness is logged off or something like that. I was like, wow. That's,
0: yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, and but it's very cool because it, it. I mean, that's a change. You know, that's a that's a cool change for that character, and. It opens up a whole new world of stories that they could tell, you know, and it's probably linked, I would assume, to what's going on with the carrier, you know that it's it's heading out into space and it'd be interesting to know if if it did that on purpose because obviously it's the carrier feels you know so it feels what's going on in, in within itself with all the heroes and the refugees yeah. you know, so I wonder if this is their answer I mean like like what did you think about about that scene with her and the and the the refugees where she makes the beds for them?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you can see, because there is that relationship with the character, I mean, the carrier and the people that reside on it, um, you can see immediately after she had done that, she had um, felt the sympathy for them. Right after she did that, you know, the refugees were kind of viewing her as their deity. I mean, they were immediately, like, on their knees worshipping her, which is kind of creepy, but you kind of understand where they're coming from, too. Because yeah. they were pretty miserable for a long time.
0: Yeah, and then she makes the comment, we are unfamiliar with this, she says. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so the, the carrier is not used to being worshipped, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot going on, really. I mean, each character kind of has their own thing going on. Um, you know, the new century Baby River, you know, he's got his thing going on where he kind of knew... That the engineer was going to come online at some point and uh you know she makes it pretty apparent that he's a he's a target wherever they're going he's he's their target so they do have to protect him all of them do i just don't think that they realize that yet
0: yeah naming this 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 little boy river as the a new century baby and apparently the century baby of information, which totally makes sense for the 21st century. That was a really cool idea. Yeah,
1: river but, flow of information. Yeah, that's good.
0: You know, it, But it also raises questions about, well, what truly happened to Jenny Quantum then if there's a new century baby? Does that mean that she's gone? You know, Like, really gone?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You never know. There's, there was also an interesting thing with Roxy and Deathblow. There's been... I mean, Roxy's training, once again and you know she had really been training this whole past year and even deathblow kind of gives her a little little hint like hey maybe you can make a shield so i'm not quite sure why they've been building up roxy for the past year but it's interesting to see what they'll do with her because i mean honestly she's been doing a lot like a lot of build up so hopefully they don't just let that go
0: yeah yeah, because for those of you who haven't been following Gen 13 and are wondering about the weird costume changes, you know, they were mentored by the <clears throat> the superhero team called the Paladins, which was introduced in the Number of the Beast storyline, which is basically a Lost Wildstorm team. You know, uh, and um, they trained the Gen 13 kids kind of the way you would, you know, a next generation of superheroes, and which is an explanation for the costumes that they got, which are more traditional. And Of course, when everybody was scrambling, some of the Gen 13... Well, actually, only Roxy and Rainmaker made it on the carrier as far as the Gen 13 kids, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, that looks like the case.
0: Yeah, so so Roxy, who I think... Wasn't she named the official leader there towards the end of one of the story arcs?
1: Uh, It seemed to be that way. I don't know if they officially said it, but it was obvious that she was leading the team.
0: Yeah, because I think Grunge mentions that... Either in the Wildcats issue or, or right before she jumps on the carrier, um, I think he makes a comment about that. But point is, it's interesting because um, she's not, there's only one other Gen 13 member here, which is Rainmaker. So
1: right, and she's kind of been you know doing her own thing for the whole past year. So I mean, she really only makes a small cameo and asks to know what's in Jack's box.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's box. Yeah, that, that's that's one mystery that the that the current creative team has left us, which <laughs> Jack is Jack uh, in the box. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting to see. It, it would also be interesting to know if if what this team had when we do finally do find out what's in the box, if it was what they already had planned or if the new creative team changed it a little bit. But I guess right. you know until we get there. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, Roxy really did step up. I mean, she called Deathblow a bitch, you know. <laughs> Come on, that's that's take some guts. This is Deathblow we're talking about, so. Right. Uh, well,
1: she's definitely getting better with her powers, which is,
0: yeah. you know, that's cool. Yeah. So,
1: there there was another really fun interaction with uh, Flint and Grifter kind of being caught. You know, Flint <laughs> playing with his gun.
0: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Benjamin Santani's not going to like that. no. no. <laughs> as far as I know, they're still married, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, is she getting
1: people. a little cabin fever? I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, that's what she gets for running away from her husband, yeah. you know, just because she sees her dead Stormwatch buddies come back to life, you know. And, and then, of course, the world ends, and she's like, oops, my husband. I lost him, you know. Or where is he? No, we don't know either. So... <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. You want to talk
1: about the exciting conclusion?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those pesky, pesky Night Tribe. I'm telling you what, they show up all the time. <laughs> you know, you think you you think you blast off into space and you're gonna be free of all the vampires, werewolves in the world, and then, oh, well, they just happen to hijack on the carrier too. <laughs> yeah, as if demonoids aren't bad enough, you know. Yeah. So. Um, Just a string of bad luck, I think, for the people on the carrier. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. I I have a feeling that that might be a little short-lived, but I I don't know if that was a device used just, you know, to help them end their arc or what, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, well, it was a good cliffhanger, I mean, because... Uh, Oh, for
1: sure, yeah.
0: You know, a lot of people were wondering if the Night Tribes had been completely eliminated, you know, because over in the Stormwatch comic before it got canceled, I mean, Winter basically nuked them with himself you know
1: yeah that's true that's true that's true so
0: so um a lot of people thought i mean of course we kind of always know that they're not really gone but he sure took a big chunk of them away you know they're
1: like cockroaches they just
0: (laughs) always come back yeah so anyway so um yeah so that like i said definitely a really good issue the authority really really sad that this team is leaving but um i've seen you know we've seen preview work from the from the new creative team coming and the the art looks really good and if if they're gonna keep the notes or whatever that this team had and put their own spin on it very similar to what um keith giffen's doing on the authority last year you know i'm all for it so um why don't we go ahead and give our ratings for this issue? We give—I'm sure some of you have seen it. If you've seen the written reviews at uh, Comic Addiction, you see that we give ratings one to ten, one being the worst comic ever, and ten being the best comic ever. You know, with all the numbers in between. And I really, I really, I really thought this was an eight, which is on its way to greatness. And um, because I just—I mean, it was so focus on the characters so much and that was something that, that i'm glad that they got to do at least one time before they left the comic because they had just been these characters just been scrambling for their lives and there's no time to just stop and oh let me tell you a little bit about myself you know it's like no 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 we're gonna die we need to do something so finally you know we get some good a good sense of the character so i, I really enjoyed this issue a lot what about you
1: i i did as well i actually gave it a nine which is excellent and i, I I just thought it was very fast paced there was a lot going on there was transformations happening You know, we learned a lot about the team that's been created and we're set up with a cliffhanger that's exciting who knew the Night Tribes were still around and they're on the carrier that's awesome Yeah. can't wait to, can't <laughs> wait to see what happens next with it
0: yeah. well cool well, let's go ahead and move on to our next comic then if you'll take that one Ben
1: Sure, we're actually going to be reviewing Sparta number one and two. We realized that Sparta number one came out a little bit earlier in March, but just to catch you up, we figured we'd review both of them. So, Sparta USA, written by David Lampum and art by Johnny Timmons. Um, this is one of Wildstorm's uh, creative properties, so it's not part of the Wildstorm universe proper. But it is about a small town called Sparta. Um, it's a really odd book, honestly. I think we both have our own opinions about this book. Uh, it's It's got <laughs> magic in it. It's got a lot of political things going on in this book. At least I felt that way. Um, it's about the main character, Godfrey McLean, who is the number one quarterback ever in the town of Sparta. Basically, he holds all the records, and three years ago, he disappeared into the mountains. Now, the town of Sparta is a small town in the foothills of some mountain range. We don't really know, Um, but they're surrounded by mountains, so it's kind of secluded. It's cut off. It I would assume that there's no airport because these people don't leave this town. Um, he goes off into the woods and the townspeople are, uh, scared of the Yeti that they don't, they really only refer to it as the Yeti, um, because he, the Yeti eats people. Um, so they assume that their number one star Godfrey has been eaten by the Yeti. Um, the town is also led by a blue skinned person, which. <laughs> and all the other townspeople are normal, and they don't seem to have an issue with this blue skinned guy leading them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that's right. Y'all heard him right. He said a blue skinned person. <laughs> you forgot to mention what color skin Gottfried's is.
1: Gottfried's is uh, red, just so you know. There's a lot of political things going on in this book.
0: <laughs> you know, just listening to you summarize that book just reminds me just how odd it really
1: is. It, it is. It is. odd. You
0: know, I kind of, I kind of think about, you know, David Lapham going to, to Wallstorm and pitching this. And I kind of imagine that it's just like the way you did it. You know, it's like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, uh, it, the the town is, uh, really wrapped around football. Uh, football is oh, yeah. the all American sport, um, and and Sparta is so deeply entrenched into this. I, I I don't know how to explain it anymore because I'm from the city of Pittsburgh, I mean Sixburg. Uh. So <laughs> being from a town that is very entrenched in football, I can't imagine this because they have I know they listed off. Uh, you know, a ninety nine hundred uh, population town that has thirty odd pro teams. I'm like, how is that possible? That that would make the percentage of people in the town, oh, like twenty percent play football professionally, or some odd number. It's, yeah, it's insane.
0: And, and you know, now that you brought that up, is it that that they play those teams? within sparta play each other because i was explaining this to a friend today and that was his first question when i mentioned that sparta was isolated he was like well then who do they play
1: i I assume so and that's you know they don't really say that they leave the town and so you kind of have to believe that they have to play each other there's leagues within sparta so 9900 people a lot of them are playing against each other Um, yeah so let me get let me get back to uh some of the main characters that we meet. So we meet this blue skinned fella that is leading the town and his name is Maestro which is you know, means teacher. Mm-hmm. Which is kinda odd because you right away realize that this character is kinda seedy. And <laughs> most
0: blue skinned people are.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Redskin people are great. <laughs> but uh, you can see that uh, Maestro is really all about keeping the people only thinking about Sparta. And not making sure that they're not questioning what's outside of Sparta. What's beyond the mountains.
0: I was going to say, it's interesting you brought up how, how it's hard for you to relate to all this. Because for me, it's the total opposite, you know. Because I I grew up in a small town, small Texas town. I mean, if you if you've ever seen the movie *Varsity Blues*, mm-hmm. that's my town minus the strip club. We didn't have a strip club, but <laughs> that that's that's it. That's you know what Sparta is describing is the quote-unquote all-American town to the umpteenth degree. You know, it's just like so. It's like Pleasantville, if they focused on. Football, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I guess I understand that. Yeah,
0: you know, but um, but yeah, because I get that whole thing about where that's it, and it's it's you know, all these the the small town values, and everybody knows everybody, and just I mean, just he just basically took everything stereotypical about a small, small American town that focuses on football and just put it in here, you know. But as we see, you know, later, that's that's not really the case. That's just a front.
1: Yeah, that's what's to keep the townspeople happy, and I think he did do a good job of setting that that feeling up, of uh, of the football, uh, just lifestyle as far as like middle school and high school and and how dedicated families and just people in general are. I mean, even when you're in your sixties and you live in one of those towns, I mean, you still follow it religiously, mm-hmm. and you're either coaching or on the sidelines every every game cheering them on yeah what did what did you think of the art of this book
0: the art is is, is, it's funny for me because it's it's really good it really is it's really detailed it's kind of got this dark darkness to it which fits fits the parts of this book that kind of get a little dark and so but I'm not 100% sold on it and I can't pinpoint why. I mean, it's good art. I mean, I, but I just um, maybe it's just the whole oddness of the story that I can't concentrate on the art, you know. But it is good art. I love. There's something about the, the main character Godfrey. I, I would love to know if he's referencing some of these facial expressions from somewhere, or or if Johnny Timmons is really just you know pulling that out of his out of his mind because the some of the close-ups. Of that character I mean I think it's probably because you know the, of the red face that it gets you to focus in on him but that I will say there is some really good shots of, of, of him you know uh, Timon's style is obviously very realistic uh, I,
1: I, I I can't imagine he's not referencing somebody if you're you're about halfway through this book there is a close-up of Gottfried and it's spitting image Colin Farrell I mean, you would have to pull oh, it up, look at him. Yeah, and, I mean, you just know it. You're like, he was looking at a picture of Colin Farrell.
0: that. That's good. That's good. I, I you know, that was probably what was trying to register in my mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually kind of creepy. If you didn't, yeah, it took me a while. I was like, who is that? I know that actor.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. Oh, you're so right on that. Now I'm looking at that. That's Colin Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> it was I really know. <laughs> I I like the art.
1: I I think that it's really the inks. It has heavy lines in it that makes it look different. But it it reminded me of something from my youth, and I was trying to think of what that was. And I know that there have been many, uh, like, Bible story adaptations in comic book form or, you know, storybook form. And it just reminds me of something like that that used to have heavy lines like that. Mm. That's all I could really think of. I was like, man, this just feels like that yeah there was also a great panel that kind of is just tiny right off the get go when they're trying to set up the feel of you know this town and football and the all-american spirit and they just throw it in there in a corner and it is a riff of american gothic the famous painting i think it's on the third page second panel and if you're not paying attention, they have NRA, uh, oh, buttons yeah. on. Yes, and yes, I did. He, know that. you can barely see it, but he's holding a rifle up, and she also has a rifle, and it kind of in the same shape, everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good. You know what? That's that's one of those things that I just kind of skimmed over, and it might have clicked, but I was, yeah,
1: yeah. But I think it's something subconscious that. You would have read it real quick, and but you would have got the spirit behind it. Mm-hmm. Even if you hadn't have picked up on, oh, that is exactly the American Gothic painting, just in a different way. Yeah, and I don't know if that's what he was doing, but
0: uh, I'm pretty sure. I mean, based on everything else he put, I mean, first panel is a big American flag. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I was just waiting for the panel of the apple pie. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um. Yeah. So, is there is there anything else about the first issue you want to say before we kind of go the second?
1: I I, I don't. Uh, I I thought it was great as a setup piece, um, but I don't. There was also a variant cover just so everybody knows. I don't I don't have the artist, but
0: it was actually Dave Lapham because I I put that variant cover up at uh, Comic Addiction. So. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're on top of it (laughs) yeah i try i want them to keep me so
1: (laughs) (laughs) i gave this this book a seven i i thought it was above average slightly above average i you know i i thought it was good setup it was intriguing you you saw the magic a little bit you're kind of wondering what's up with these two colored skin dudes (laughs) i'm Yeah, <laughs> that didn't come out right, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, they know what you mean. We're talking about somebody who's blue and somebody who's red, and we really mean that. They're just that's the colors they are in the comic. I mean, <laughs> yeah, whatever political statement he's trying to make, you know, it's it's kind of getting lost in all the weirdness. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I gave this a seven as well, slightly above average because I just. I don't. It just didn't. It was weird, but it didn't wow me. You know, and that that's the thing with me in a first issue is that it was intriguing enough for me to be like, okay, let's let's see where we're going. You know, so so that that's what I thought about that. And then you know, issue two, which I'll let you continue, gets even more interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And I was actually uh, pleasantly surprised because I hadn't picked this book up at first, and you know, because we were gonna be reviewing it, I went back and picked up number one. And this past week, number two. So I was kind of happy after I read number one. I was like, wow, I'm glad I picked this up. Because it's going somewhere. So Sparta number two released on April 7th. And, uh, you know, we continue uh, after Godfrey had kind of showed his hand at the uh, stadium. And we continue from there. The one thing I do want to point out real quick before we continue with this is kind of like the title screen where they list the creators on every book here. Mm -hmm. We use the scoreboard, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. They put the title, they put all the creators and then they put the score up, which is the issue number. So
0: yeah, that, that is a really nice touch. They did that in the first issue too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So here we have, we learn about the three F's, which is fame, family, and football. And I have the feeling they lean on a couple of those more than another <laughs> we We see a lot more magic in this one. We see you know Godfrey healing himself and doing a lot of goofy things. We also see his restraint as he holds back from you know basically easily killing you know Sparta's latest hero. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was that was a pretty good fight. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was cool. And uh, we see a lot more of the political thing, the political stress between, you know, Maestro and and Godfrey. We also have all the women fawning off of Godfrey. <laughs> he he, get, he goes back to his old house, and uh, they kind of follow him. Yeah. It was interesting.
0: He gets his own little Charlie's Angels group going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we also we meet some new characters. Uh, we meet Nora, who obviously is, you know, his his love of his life. For the first time, we finally see who is doing all the voiceover, which is Ralphie, who owns, well, now runs uh, one of the stores in town.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was interesting to finally see who that was, because I was kind of curious, because it was obvious that it was not Godfrey. So, So that was interesting to see. See the reason I'm struggling, like I said, is this book is so odd, it's kinda of hard to describe. <laughs> I mean, it's like okay, basically here it is. Let me just throw it out there. You got red guy, no T shirt, just looking like something out of a out of the out of the, the movie three hundred, but with red skin. He's got a sword, you know, they're having the bonfire in the middle of the football field and he's out there throwing a challenge, you know, in the middle of the football game to the maestro to basically, you know, release his control over the people. <laughs> so this is not a scene that you would normally see at a small town football game, <laughs> you know. And this is this is part of what my brain is having the trouble wrapping around. I'm like, what is going on here? And I think part of it is that since this is a brand new world, you know, because it's a, it's a new comic and they're never, you know, first time we've ever seen stories in this world. You don't know what the what the rules are yet. You're still trying to figure them out. No, no, no. It's like if I was reading a superhero comic and this was happening. Somehow I would accept this, you know, <laughs> but, but since I don't know where I am yet, I'm still kind of lost <laughs> as a reader. I think that's why it's so hard to really be like, okay, this is what's going on. And I know a hundred percent that this is what's going on. Cause I don't feel like that yet with this comic.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it's tough. Cause there are those, you know, you have your core family values, which they list at the beginning of this one. But then you also have this political struggle, which they dive a a little bit more into in this one. He, you know, Maestro keeps talking about the president of the United States giving children to those that deserve it. And, you know, they talk about the United States and nobody leaves this town. So how do they know if they're, you know, how do they know anything outside of this, this little world that he's created for them? Because he cuts them off from it. I mean, children are being given to them from the President of the United States. Yeah. It just, it's odd.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing, there's been no mention of TV, internet, communications. I mean, everything, you really get this sense that, yeah, they're isolated, and you don't know, I mean, there's no reason given yet, obviously, I'm sure eventually, we well, I hope we do, but... Um, yeah, you do get this sense of isolation. That's part of what's going on here as a reader. You're like, "Where am I? When can I go back to my normal world?" <laughs> you know, cuz I don't understand what's going on in this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they even set up the isolation a little bit more in this. I mean, there's all these beautiful pictures in the first issue of this town. How gorgeous it looks with the the lake and the mountains and everything. And yet it's cut off and they even talk about radiation zones outside of the mountains in this issue. So not only is there a Yeti in the mountains that you shouldn't go deal with but there's also radiation zones outside of it. So does that mean that all of the rest of the United States is just gone or he definitely makes sure that people do not leave this town.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah so that that's the thing that I really am struggling with this you know and unfortunately you know i'm sure there's people who who gave up on it on the first issue because of that reason you know but i'm giving i'm giving Lapham the benefit of the doubt here because i'm like okay he's 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 put us in a new world he's tasked to let us know what's going on the best he can without revealing too much and he's trying to craft a story within this world too which the best i can tell is you know obviously rising up and against a, a, a oppressive force which seems to be you know, Godfrey versus the maestro, which is a classic conflict. But it's this odd little setting that just kind of keeps you in this state of uncertainty that you're like, yeah, I know that story, but I don't know how it's going to play out here, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's so just slightly off as far as the setting is concerned that it's intriguing. You're just like, this is strange. I I mean no town should be like this So it's kind of hard to relate And then right at the end of this book um, We realize That Nora (laughs) Is not his wife Just his lover Because We run into his wife at the end And she looks ticked and supposedly, she is the queen biatch of the town, because she seems to get her away no matter what.
0: Apparently, according to Ralphie, was that his name? Who's still narrating, you know? Um, but yeah, that could... Yeah, I, go ahead.
1: I, I'm just trying to think of the, the two different books that we've reviewed reviewed tonight, which has the scarier climax. <laughs> The Night Tribes or Wanda <laughs> McLean. I don't know. She looks pretty rough. You
0: know, I, rather than deal with your ex-wife, I think I'd take the Night Tribes any day. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what happens here, folks, for those of you who are listening. His ex-wife shows up, and apparently she's got she's got three kids with her. She's got her luggage. It's, it's a scene out of a sitcom or a soap opera. You know? And it's like, what is it doing at the end of this comic you know, it's got magic and it's got, you know, a red skin guy and a blue skin guy and, you know, a city that's covered in the mountains and we don't know why. And all of a sudden, his ex-wife shows up with the kids and that's the cliffhanger. It's like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that in a comic book. And not only, I mean, it's ending with his wife coming back. They're still married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Like, sorry, honey, I've been in the mountains, and uh, oh, by the way, uh, my skin's red now. I and I'll explain that eventually, which he has not, of course. <laughs> so, oh, this comic's just weird. <laughs> it is. It is.
1: But um, it, what, what do you, what would you read it?
0: I'm still stuck on my seven, just because you know I, I'm giving it. I'm, I'm really just giving him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I try to be. A lot more forgiving than than a lot of people online that I see sometimes who give up on stuff really quick. I'm, I'm I really want to give this a chance. You know, I really want to see what he's doing, and, and I really I, I get the feeling that when all is said and done, when issue six is out, because it's a six issue miniseries, mm-hmm. probably it'd probably be good to go back and reread it. You know, because there's probably some stuff that's going to make more sense when when it's all said and done. At least I would hope so. You know, because. then you'd be like, oh, that's what he was talking. Oh, that's what this meant. Oh, oh, you know, just a little, uh, all I want is some aha moments, you know, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to be left in uncertainty forever.
1: (laughs) No, I I agree. And that's actually why I I bumped this one up to an eight, because I think it is on its way to greatness. I think there's a lot going on in this book. I I don't think it's just a struggle between good and evil. I, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of things that he's trying to say in this book. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where it goes. And I'm actually excited to see where it goes. Cause like I said, I was not planning on picking this book up and I'm really happy that I have. And you
0: know, Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, um, e- each week, uh, you know, we, we do, we do go over some of the issues we bought, but there, there, obviously we can't pick up everything, but we would like to let y'all know some of the stuff that is out, this week that uh, did come out so uh ben if you'll let them know about what's out this week besides what we reviewed
1: yeah besides um Spartan number two and the authority 21 coming out uh we have starcraft book one now starcraft book one is a hard cover book and if you haven't picked it up you can pick it up at in-stock, instocktrades.com for uh 12.59 which is 37 percent off the cover price which normally goes for 19.99. So if you're a StarCraft fan, go and pick it up at InStockTrades.com.
0: Yeah, and and I am a Star StarCraft fan. I hadn't <laughs> hadn't mentioned that when we were talking about putting this together, but I am. But unfortunately, I just the book's not in my budget. So <laughs> you know, but I I, um, I really do love those games, and you know the fact that they're putting out a hardcover, you know, obviously the there's some fans picking it up, so that's good to know. Uh, so. I know it's continuing, it's definitely, it's definitely still going. So if, if you're a fan of the games, uh, I know that there's a lot of character. I've seen in the solicitations. there's a lot of characters in the games that they're incorporating into these stories, so that's pretty cool. Uh, that just about does it for our uh, episode zero of Wildstorm Addiction. I uh, just want to take a little chance to uh, thank Chris Parton and Corwin and the rest of the comic addi- addiction staff for just the opportunity to do this podcast. I mean, I've had a lot of fun with Chris Parton and Mike Smith over at Image Addiction doing the retro reviews, and uh, I hope we get the opportunity to do more of these Wildstorm-centered ones, Um, hopefully give people a chance to to give Wildstorm a try. And um, if you want to contact us and ask us about anything that we talked about on the show tonight, uh, you can catch me on Twitter, at grifter 78 and uh, be sure to visit us at the Wildstorm resource wiki where you can find both Ben and I. Ben, you want to tell them how they can get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on the Wildstorm resource wiki. I'll be you know, Yo-Yo Master in some form or another. And you can also hit me up on the Wildstorm forum. I'll also be Yo-Yo Master of some sort. I like Yo-Yo's.
0: I don't know.
1: It's a fun yeah, toy. Like, give me a you're break.
0: a master, apparently.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm not a master. I, I think I'm, you know, just...
0: Oh, come on. That's what your name says. Just open, open up man. my ego a little bit. <laughs> it's all right. You know, you can, you can be a self-proclaimed master. You know, that's fine. <laughs> you know, eventually we'll ask you for a YouTube video to prove it, but, you know, yeah. we'll give you some time to practice until then. Anyway, thank y'all for listening, and uh, hopefully we're going to do another one of these, and uh, we'll see y'all later.